Hello and welcome to Energy Voice Out Loud, where we are leading the global energy conversation. I'm Ed Reed. Good morning to uh, Ryan and Andy. How are you this morning, chaps? Are you doing well? Are you uh, feeling upbeat about uh, the changing of the seasons? Have you put your Christmas trees up? Oh, it's way too early for that, isn't it, Ed? That's, uh, <laughs> I feel like that's first week in December. It's a good few weeks out, a couple of weeks out, yeah. Good, good. I haven't, but I haven't not thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, lights outside are already up. It's starting to. I mean, I heard Christmas music in the supermarket the other day. That was a bit of a whiplash moment. Oh no! <laughs> it is. It is a slippery slope, isn't it? I, I mean, like I know a couple of people who have put their their trees up already, and I. I mean, I. I'm. I don't want to say appalled because that makes me sound very small-minded, but but I am shocked to my core. But anyway, that's uh, listen. That's, uh, that's 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 just 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 establishing the, uh, the the moral conditions of the podcast. Um, but 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 Ryan, um, I think there was there was some talk this week about uh, new plans for the North Sea. How people are feeling? Uh, how are people feeling? Yeah, from a bar humbug to a bit of a bit of energy transition. Um, yeah, so. This week, uh, the Aberdeen and Grampian Chamber of Commerce released their 38th energy transition survey, which had, you know, they had sort of usual findings, company feeling on sort of the, the state of the market and, you know, how things are progressing, confidence in how, th- how things are moving. But I think most notably, it had uh, a recommendation from the chamber itself uh, for a new independent body to uh, sort of govern and oversee UK energy security and the country's transition to net zero. The The Chamber's complaining, that it, it, very much in the same way that I think we've, we've highlighted this in the past as well, that, you know, energy's become something of a, as they said, political football. You know, it does seem like as we've got a general election looming, there's a lot of uncertainty around the future of the North Sea and, you know, just energy in general, as the the two leading parties are so far apart in their opinions on the future of the UK's energy mix. You know, they they highlighted both the, the idea of, you know, annual North Sea licenses, but also, you know, you've got to take into account... Labour's stance from earlier in the year, and we've already spoken a little bit about that on uh, on the podcast about how this this might just be a bit of lip service, a bit of sort of political posturing before a general election, and you know Labour if they win could just sort of revoke this and sort of roll back those sort of North Sea licenses. Anyway, the the chamber pitched the idea of a Bank of England style uh, body. Um, you know, the Bank of England uh, has. Authority for maintaining monetary and fiscal stability, um, and that's sort of its central mission. So, uh, you know, it's outside of government. Um, as as we sort of go through general elections, they can sort of steady the ship in in some capacity. And they were kind of looking for a similar thing within energy to sort of have one one group that would stay the course. You know, create clear signalling as uh, as we move towards those. 2025, 2020, uh, 2030, 2035 goals, you know, uh, for slashing those emissions. Um, you know, it, it's quite interesting to see how they came to this conclusion. Uh, 43% of respondents said that political, uh, the political environment and new regulations slash uh, tax legislation 
were listed among their top three concerns uh, when it comes to the future of the energy market in the UK. It is worth noting, though, that uh, oil price and market stability was uh, on the list of most concerning factors for 79% of respondents, with 43% saying it was their top priority. Now, obviously, as we all know, the UK government, regardless of uh, policy, can't impact oil price. It's determined on an international level. But it's it's interesting to see this sort of this call for body like this, someone to sort of steady our transition away from hydrocarbons and into sort of renewable energy markets. And before before I dive into the results of the the survey too much and sort of get into the nitty gritty, I kind of wanted to open up to you guys here a little bit and see what do you think? Do you think that this is necessary or do we already have the regulatory bodies involved to sort of do that you know we've got the nsta and, and the like is that is this maybe their job or should we be calling for a new body i think increasingly every conversation we have around energy policy keeps going back to this holistic thing or we've talked about how you know future offshore production is now increasingly looking like it will be tied to some extent to the grid uh if, if we're looking to kind of electrification and things like that and even to if you are looking to power it with wind turbines, you need kind of a lot of the offshore leasing uh, and permitting and everything to make all that possible. So definitely this holistic view, I think, is a sensible one. I mean, what that regulator would look like and what they would, <laughs> or this independent body, sorry, would look like and what their to-do list <laughs> would look like <laughs> boggles the mind, I think. But but definitely the, this idea of a more holistic approach to energy, I think, which hopefully, you know, Des, the creation of Desnes was sort of a stab towards that. I mean, how successful that's been and whether or not that will be reversed or changed again. I mean, I've, yeah, I've old enough to know, to know God knows how many energy departments we've had in the last 10 years. What about you, Ed? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, it, it, it sounds uh, like the sort of thing that would be the conclusion that one might come out with from after writing a report like that. But I mean, I think politically, there's absolutely no way that would ever fly, right? Like no government is going gonna, is gonna to have the authority to be able to establish a regulator that has such uh, an, an insight into our daily lives, right? I mean, that's why it's so political. That's, you know, like the, the, the gas price spike that we saw in 2022, people being unable to heat their houses, you know, heating or eating, those kind of questions. And then, you know, sort of tying that into those kind of questions around, uh, you know, net zero and, you know, things like the IEA saying, you know, do we need exploration? I mean, to me, it, it sounds a bit like if, if if the oil price stability is the kind of the, the 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 top concern of the people surveyed, why don't they argue for you know a body to 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 create a single buyer of oil production? It feels similarly uh, out there, but I mean that seems like that would tackle people's top worry. Heresy. <laughs> yeah, I totally I totally get where you're coming from with that. You know, sort of stability in the market was obviously the uh, the the top concern for. Uh, Near enough, the majority of respondents, which I'll just uh, just pull up how many that was. There was 105 businesses uh, that completed the survey, 10 of which were operators and 95 were uh, contractors or uh, service companies. So, you know, quite a sizable demographic there. But I do think it's quite interesting to, to start bring it back to that net zero conversation a little bit, you know, when it, I've definitely heard the criticism of, you know, no no government sort of on the build up to a general election wants to make these massive headways towards, you know, cutting emissions just for the next party to, to take over to get all the credit for it. You know what I mean? Like by the time this sort of comes into to effect. And I guess this this new body suggested by the, the Aberdeen and Grampian Chamber of Commerce would maybe reduce that fear a little bit, right? You know, with, with a general election looming, you know, 
the government would still be held to account to sort of chase net zero as opposed to you know going oh well if we're if we're going to lose the next general election like we're polled to then we'll make it labor's problem you know is that pessimistic way to look at it i don't know i mean the the other thing that strikes me though is that the bank of england's job is supposedly to you know control monetary policy and have a handle on inflation which i don't know if you've looked outside but (laughs) does not appear to be working super effectively certainly not that i felt for the past 18 months so i think there's a bit of like in the energy trilemma of whatever availability and security and price and everything I think a lot, of, as I said, a lot of those factors are outside of the, the control of any, you know, any any independent uh, body that you could bring in. It feels like they would they would just have all of the same headaches that we've just discussed, and I can't imagine that they would have the levers to be able to control it with enough distinction. But that highlights why energy is such a thorny issue, right? Because, like you say, we're we're going through changes of government that are also being affected by macroeconomic factors and and prices that are without outside of people's control. It's it's going to be a long way to 2050. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And, and I suppose going to come back to that idea of the Bank of England. Obviously, the Bank of England takes kind of relatively short-term decisions, and it sort of meets quarterly and and, and sort of you know, decides whether to, to to move interest rates, and that's effectively its its mandate. Whereas uh, uh, this sort of Uber regulator would be working on sort of short-term and long-term plans at the same time. So. Look for me, for me, Ran. I'm not sure that the AGCC is going to quite get its way on this, but that's certainly, certainly uh, an interesting food for thought. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a pause, uh, and we'll be back uh, with some trouble in the air. ESG Legalities is a special one-off podcast episode brought to you by Sustainable Growth Voice in paid partnership with Burness Paul. Join me, Heather Dimwoody, in conversation with Stephen Stewart, head of ESG at Burness Paul, and Lynn Gray. Head of Health, Safety and Corporate Crime. We'll be shedding light on the legal perspective of ESG, exploring the opportunities it holds and explaining what success truly looks like in practice. This special episode is available now, wherever you get your podcasts. So, Andy, uh, Siemens uh, Energy seems to be uh, struggling with some uh, problems in the, in the last while. Are we seeing some progress? I think this week, uh, my takeaway is that every silver lining has a cloud. I think so. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been quite the week for Siemens Energy. Uh, they reported their full year results. I think this is on the, the German financial calendar, so it's a full year results. Uh, a net loss of 4.6 billion euros on Wednesday. Several hours after they agreed a government rescue plan, which I think was was tied up in the the late hours of Tuesday. So uh, it's some long-running issues here with uh, Siemens Energy to do with their wind turbine business, which we'll get into in a minute, uh, mainly related to Siemens Gamisa, which is a long-running joint venture uh, they had um, with the, I think, Indian turbine manufacturer Gamisa. Um, anyway, on, on Tuesday, the, the German government, after a long period of, of speculation as to what the future of the company would be, confirmed it would provide uh, 7.5 billion euros in credit guarantees as part of an overall 15 billion euro rescue package. Uh, so 12 billion is to be lent by uh, European banks, and all of that is to kind of stabilize the, the balance sheet and the order book of, of the company. So the, the bailout is, I think, unquestionably a win, and I think... Um, what what was needed and what was needed to see for the market, I think, as well, given the ongoing speculation over the, the future of the company. But it did feel uh, touch and go for a while, so uh, we can we can dive into their full year results. I think uh, I'm, I'm going to read the, the headline that Siemens Energy itself put out for its full year results, which I think is very a very functional German expression of what's going on. 
where they just said, excellent performance of conventional business in fiscal year 2023, overshadowed by wind business performance. It's all there in a nutshell, really. <laughs> it is, uh, it's continuing, it's continuing to restructure the, the wind turbine business seems to be set after these uh, steep losses, which they've described as an unexpected and serious setback. They don't expect the wind business to return to profitability until 2026, uh, and it will continue to be a drag on earnings, even as all the other divisions seem to be marked for really strong growth. So I think what's interesting about this is, you know, there's a record order backlog at the company, reported 112 billion euros, um, mostly around uh, things like transmission networks, gas turbines, all these um, very uh, vital pieces of energy equipment and very vital to the energy transition, uh, you know, <laughs> Going great guns in all of the, the right stuff, but the, the wind turbine business is, is dragging almost the entire uh, business of Siemens Energy down at the moment. So the bailout package seems to, to be to kind of preserve the ability of the company to continue to, to make gains on these bits while it addresses uh, the, the losses and the, the issues with wind turbines that we'll get into in a minute. So uh, I think it's a two billion operating loss for the Siemens Gamesa wind uh unit at the moment and that is, is as i say straining the balance sheet and, and they're going to need to get a handle on that this has obviously been ongoing i think about a year ago uh, siemens energy took control of the joint venture which was formerly separate um, and that that's a long battle that that company had faced um, over supply chain issues as we've talked about every week uh, and also loss making contracts where again i think they've signed up uh deals to supply large amounts of turbines blades uh nacelles um and installations uh at Prices in you know 2017, 2018, 2019. We've had COVID. We've had uh, lots of disruption, and then kind of completing on those contracts is leading to uh, potential losses. So in June uh, was probably the, the nadir of this that the share price plummeted by I think nearly 40 percent, I think 36 percent, 39 percent after it reported a substantial increase in the failure rates of uh, components made by Gamesa. It expected uh, 1.6 billion to uh, euros to fix all those problems. I think they've held that number in the, the full year results now. So that is still the number that's going to take to, to fix these uh, problems, which are mainly around, it seems to be the, the what's going to be called the rush development of their 5.x uh, onshore wind turbine. Um, so I think the, the thought is they kind of didn't spend enough time in development of that in, in, uh, in putting it out to market to kind of keep up with a lot of the other turbine manufacturers and this big boom in onshore wind. Not enough testing was going to be done on these components. It's uh, proven prone to breaking down uh, and <laughs> a main piece of the frame can uh, move or twist over time, potentially damaging other critical components in the turbine. So not good. Uh, I think the, the um, suggestion was it's kind of I mean, $1.7 million or something, a turbine to fix them as well. Hence, you know, multiplying up to the, the billions that it is going to take to um, get control of that. And then obviously at the same time, uh, unprofitable contracts escalating cost of raw materials and just, you know, tough competition in the market. So this week, the company says uh, those problems at Gamesa have been ring-fenced, um, but obviously <laughs> still a long way to go, 2026, to, to be able to wrest control of those. Um, Chief Executive Christian Burke said that uh, the correcting measures are going to go on for a couple of years. He said most of the turbines are operating, but they will obviously need a repair package in the coming years, hence the, the charges. He says uh, there is no plans at the moment to sell the business, so they are going to be looking at mostly doing it internally. He said uh, completely giving the wind business away, particularly if it is loss-making, is something he does not see as practical. Um, we need to fix certain issues ourselves, but he does see the future of the company with wind yeah i mean it, it feels like a like a like a like a tough situation to be in uh, but i mean i suppose 
thinking about that kind of massive bailout, is it is it is it debt? Is it equity? I mean, how, how, what what are the sort of the details of that? Does Siemens Energy have to have to pay this money back? Uh, I'm not sure at this stage. <laughs> it, it was confirmed on. Uh... On uh, Tuesday night, and I think we, we had a look through the results yesterday, but I haven't delved into the details of exactly how it's but how it's uh, set up. I think it is important. It, it seems to be just kind of a, a holding pattern to be able to continue, the, as I say, the sort of heft and scale of the company and, and, and the throughput. They are also um, selling off, I think it's about $3 billion in, in asset sales to be able to stabilize the, the venture itself, which is the moment, as I say, it's kind of dragging down the rest. It's really, I think, to just address these issues, to be able to wrest control of it and, and, and steady the ship. Um, those factory closures, though, um, which they have announcements around the plans, I think, on a capital markets day next week. Um, but it has been suggested uh, in recent months that there would be factory closures. I think it operates about 80 Siemens Gamisa branded sites. Some of them do sales and servicing. Some of them do R&D. And there are about 15 factories which produce blades and nacelles. That includes one in Hull, uh, a blade factory, which in 2021 employed about 1,000 people. So the suggestion is that they might try and kind of hive off some of the extra components that are non-core to their technology. So things like blades, things potentially, I guess, like steel widgets, all these little bits of components that they can potentially buy from third parties and then bring into assemble. And that that might uh, be able to, to help them kind of, yeah, steer this course. Um, there, there was an analyst note from, from Berenberg this week said, well, <laughs> while the current situation is incredibly messy, we appear to be beyond the peak of losses and bad news, which I think aptly summarizes where we're at with this. Um, obviously, the bailout deal is is great, and I think that the wider uh, Siemens Energy company expects to become profitable next year, but certainly not in wind. I think you're totally right. I mean, it's once you get over the <laughs> considerable issue of this, you're right. You still have all of the other considerable issues that are facing the market. I think it's probably worth bearing in mind, though, that like there's no suggestion that the demand for nacelles and, and turbines and things will drop off. I think you see a loss of a couple of projects. You see, we, at the moment, obviously, we're talking a lot about project cancellations and things, which no doubt will affect that uh, segment of the market considerably. However, I think there was already a suggestion that you know the capacity to produce turbines was nearing its limit. We also have had this for years, uh, especially in the offshore segment, just race to, to, to make bigger and bigger turbines. And that, I think, has potentially been part of this as well, where you know as soon as you do a 14, your competitor's doing a 15, so you have to do a 16. And all of these production plants, all of the installation vessels and stuff have to then keep up with that. So a bit of stability there, plus, you know, expectations of growth, I think are enough to hopefully to, to pull it together. But yeah, I mean, there has to be a readjustment right, across the board of, of how much these things cost, how much they're being paid, when they're being delivered. Uh, I think expectations in the wind industry need a bit of a shakeup in, in 2024 to kind of deal with that, certainly. You know, we're we're past the worst of it, kind of thing. You know, obviously, you know, just relating to the the wind business itself. You know, yes, we had these sort of these manufacturing issues, these sort of the components breaking down issues earlier in the year, and that is obviously costing costing the company billions, like you said. But they are still once once they get over this, they're still going to have to deal with the the issues that every other wind developer is facing, right? We're not exactly seeing bags of cash. Being thrown around in the, <laughs> with the uh, wind developers, you know, there's still there's still problems with supply chain bottlenecks and inflation, right? So, 
is is this maybe wishful thinking saying we're over the worst of it or? i mean it, it it seems really striking to me is that the, the the german government has stepped in to do it right i mean i think that seems like a like quite a significant part doesn't it i mean obviously we saw uh the the, the german government take sort of similar steps uh, i think was it last year we took to kind of bail out uniper and obviously ended up sort of taking essentially a sort of majority stake and it it, it does feel that you know maybe you know the energy transition is uh, it, i guess it's just like another sort of a warning light isn't it uh, you know about the energy transition about the about the, the the cost that we're all going to have to face obviously the german government is stumping up the cash but essentially it's german taxpayers who are going to be footing the bill yeah i mean i think that's it's loan guarantees so the, the exact exposure of the taxpayer i'm not sure but i think it seems to be a lot of banks uh, stepping up there but i think the the alternative though is you know we have kind of a big four or big five turbine manufacturers really um that have the scale to kind of service a lot of these huge huge contracts and the loss of Siemens at the top end of that, I, think, I, I don't, I don't know what the figures are for for this year, but you know, at least I think in the top three, top four, would be I think <laughs> far more catastrophic than a a bailout for a business that is otherwise kind of has made some maybe some poor uh, R and D decisions, but is otherwise kind of s- seemingly sound and serving the energy transition and is pointed in the right direction and is surely headed for to serve growing markets. Um, so yeah, I think I was speaking to someone a few weeks ago and just you know we were. They were talking about the amount of turbine suppliers on the market going, you know, we've got this many, but for now, you know, every, every Vestas has had some problems. You know, there's a lot of question marks over um, over the continued uh, ability of these businesses to operate, even though they're essential. So I think it's really important that, you know, this has provided a lot of certainty for for investors and for the company. Yeah, and I, I suppose that sort of you know the the extent of sort of uh, government backing. Obviously, we, we we saw it with these solar industries, didn't we? Solar PV, the way in which Europe tried to create an industry, the US tried to create an industry, and essentially got absolutely destroyed by uh, by, by by Chinese supplies. And obviously, China sort of working on some 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 grand uh, wind turbine plant of its own, got their you know the the largest turbines in the world. So the, it it does feel like one of those kind of real challenges, doesn't it? Around Around, around sort of supply chain, which I think is one of those things that we kind of keep on coming back to. But listen, we're, we're going we're to leave it there for the moment. I'm sure that we will. This is not the last that we're going to have a, a wind turbines. Um, but for, for for now, we'll we'll have a short break and we'll come back to hear a little bit more about Ghana. In a world where the scarcity of key resources is starting to be felt and the impact of climate change is all too apparent, sustainable growth is no longer a choice; it is a necessity. Sustainable Growth Voice is a new online publication championing individuals and organisations that are pushing sustainable growth forward, making a positive impact on the environment, society and the economy. From innovative technologies solving sustainability challenges to social enterprises promoting inclusive growth and transformative policy initiatives, SG Voice covers the fundamental drivers at the heart of the new sustainable economy. Join the conversation that the world needs now. Visit SG Voice for knowledge, inspiration and insight from across the sustainable growth landscape. So finally this week, um, Tallow Oil, uh, uh, which is operating largely in Ghana, managed to uh, tie together some, some, some financing and maybe, maybe sort of set a bit of a, a clearer path. Just to just to, to kind of cast our minds back into to, to 2019, um, Tolo had an absolute nightmare. Everything went wrong. They basically lost all of their executives, and uh, largely because of some production issues in in Ghana. 
And, you know, and, and this was, you know, kind of combined with a sort of an enormous uh, debt pile. They brought in, brought in some, some, some new guys. They brought in a, a sort of a former private equity guy, Rahul Deer, to, 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 to be CEO. And um, they've been sort of slogging away. They, they got rid of a lot of sort of non-core assets. They just sort of slimmed the company down, really just to sort of garner and, and go on now. And they're sort of trying to make some headway on, uh, on this sort of, you know, this, this, this big debt problem. It feels like the debt is now coming down. Uh, it's still pretty high. It's 2.2 billion, 2.4 billion, something like that. So it's uh, still a fairly significant amount for, for a company of, of Tullo's size. But they are trying to uh, tackle this problem, which is kind of coming up increasingly shortly. So 2025, they've got to pay some debt back. And then 2026, they've got to pay a lot of debt back. So it's something like 1.6 billion comes due in in 2026 so they, they they've been talking very positively about cash flow they've been saying that a new project in 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 ghana uh, i think it's called jubilee southeast as a sort of an extension to their existing jubilee field has started up earlier this year and, and that's sort of starting to 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 to, to get jubilee back up to sort of a hundred thousand barrels per day they hope um and they've also brought in some some, some new financing from glencore um, so they announced that earlier this week. So Glencore, the commodities trader, is going to provide something like $400 million in a facility, but at a quite a high price. So the, the, the those bonds that are kind of coming due 2025, 2026, the first one is, I think, about 7%. The next one's 10%. The Glencore facility is based on SOFR, which is about 5% at the moment, and it's 10% on top of that. So it's about 15% judging on, on kind of current uh sofr levels it's a high price to pay but obviously it's it's an important one for 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 tullo to try and sort of navigate this kind of cliff face that they've been facing with so it was slightly worrying uh this 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 week when they came out and said uh actually our production hopes for this year they're not going to be quite as high as expected we're going to you know come in below production guidance Ashley Kelty, uh, analyst at Panmure Gordon, came in and said uh, that he, you know, he he thought that the production appears to be falling sharply given this uh, given this reduction in guidance. I asked Tallo. Tallo did not provide me a number. They just uh, provided me with another analyst note in that slightly infuriating way that, uh, that, that that companies sometimes have. So it's slightly unclear quite what they're expecting by way of actual production. Um, so, so Peel Hunt, another another set of analysts, said that uh, they that that Tullow was going to have its full set of cargoes lifting this year. So maybe maybe they're going to be okay. Maybe it's just a question of timing. Maybe they're going to kind of figure their way through it. Obviously, that has an impact on on that cash flow and all those other issues. But it really feels like um, they're sort of heading into this slightly uncertain future. Well, I mean, I say an uncertain future. Obviously, the last few years have been quite uncertain for Tullow as well. Maybe things are turning around. But I mean, I was wondering, you know, you guys with your, you know, your 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 view on 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 debt and and how that's kind of shaping up. Andy, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, what do you think? Uh, do you, do you, do you think that uh, things are improving? I mean, obviously, the fact that you know Tullow's had to turn to a to a, to a commodities trader rather than a sort of a, another bond, maybe something of a of a of a of a, of a warning sign. But I was wondering, you know, do you think that uh, you're you're seeing similar pressures in in the North Sea? <laughs> I was gonna ask you what was in this for Glencore and then you explained the nature of their uh, financial arrangement and I went oh <laughs> well in, in fact I should I should also add I should also add to that uh, Glencore also gets uh, lifting rights for uh, 
Tullo's production in, I think, Garner and Gabon. So certainly, uh, I think, you know, Glencore is... What I'm saying is don't worry about Glencore. I think they're probably going to be all right. I, I'm getting that sense. Yeah, this seems like uh, some rampant opportunism, but well done. That's, that's uh, in their business model, right? Uh, I th- to, to maybe dive into the specifics of this, actually, you know, if, if their production guidance was kind of being held in the middle of the year and we're now coming towards the end of the year and they're saying they're not going to meet it, I'm kind of more in, in Camp Kelty there, I think, in terms <laughs> of where we're, where we're at on production. In terms of uh, opportunism and finance in the North Sea, I mean, it's all to play for, isn't it? <laughs> I, think, uh, I think one thing that we're, we're talking around at the moment is kind of, yeah, looking into next year and uh, whether or not these kind of licenses that we've just heard about and... and uh, some of the FIDs kind of spark a bit of a resurgence in 2024 or whether the general election hanging over it is uh, is going to be a bit of a stopgap. I think we've heard a lot about um, finance coming into like a lot of the supply chain, but at the moment it still seems like it's it's kind of consolidation and a bit of exits around uh, majors play. What that does for production, uh, I couldn't tell you at this <laughs> this moment in time. I mean, I think maybe maybe to add, you know, one one further sort of a wrinkle to the to the, to the Tullow story. So earlier this year, they bought back. So they've obviously got these kind of these two big kind of bond debts to to kind of pay back in twenty twenty five and twenty twenty six. Earlier this year, they 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 in I think it was in June, they they reached a deal with some of their bondholders, essentially buying back one hundred sixty five million dollars of their bonds for only a hundred million dollars, which is uh, is is obviously as you can see quite a quite quite an advantageous trade for Tullo, and 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 Tullo has has, has said that they are going to do more of this, so they're now going to spend something like three four hundred million I think dollars of, of buying more of this of these of these bonds that are kind of coming due in 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 the future. And part of the reason for they can do this is because those bonds are trading below their face value because of concerns over Tullo's future. So in a way, Tullo uh sort of putting out some sort of warning signs about about how they're doing helps drive down you know the uh the you know the kind of you know people's perceptions of of the company and therefore the company's bonds. And in fact when they bought back these bonds in uh, in in June, uh, S and P, uh, the, the 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 bond rating people, they cut their uh, the outlook on these bonds essentially sort of you know downgrading. Them. I think it was from like a sort of a B minus to a CCC or something. Essentially moving them into sort of you know junk or speculative territory. So therefore, again, sort of saying uh, you know that 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 you know the bonds should you know presumably be, be be trading at a lower price. So I think I mean obviously there's 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 a sense where for Tullo it doesn't look good for them to be saying, you know, production's down, you know, we've been downgraded by by analysts. But at the same time, it presumably does open up some sort of uh financing play in terms of, you know, kind of trying to pay that pay those debts back at below sort of face value so are they are they doing the producer <laughs> i was gonna say yeah, that seems very familiar no, i mean that's it's uh it's a bold strategy and i i commend them for it but yeah that is that's a very interesting state of affairs for the company to be in i mean i think when when do we hear uh final year production is that going to be early 2024 they'll kind of stack that all up yeah so i think you know we'll, we'll we will see how it shapes up so um although so um so what Tallo didn't say uh didn't provide firm numbers on their on 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 how things were going or or, or a new sort of uh firm number for the year uh they they're, they're working in ghana alongside a, a us-based company called cosmos energy uh, who have some sort of west african gulf of mexico interests so Cosmos did come out and say some sort of firm numbers for um, for the year, and they said essentially that they to, 
they they reported that gross production at Jubilee has now reached a hundred thousand barrels per day um, in 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 the third quarter. They said there was there were some timing issues, but obviously for Cosmos they was it, it, they were saying you know haven't they done well? Whereas Tallo it, it felt were sort of slightly downplaying the the the, the impact of, of their year and and how things were working in, in Ghana. So. It's it feels like a really kind of a complicated issue. And obviously, there's a sort of a lot of swings and roundabouts to it. Um, but it it also feels that um, there are opportunities, right? I think you know clearly, in terms of sort of refinancing those bonds, uh, in terms of you know sort of bringing in this sort of you know financing from 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 Glencore, it feels like uh, there are still opportunities if you if you if you can if you can work out how to do it. And it feels like Tullo, you know, may have may have cracked that, right? If they can get that kind of free cash flow going, they've got this sort of support from Glencore. It feels like things are things are maybe maybe picking up. Obviously, we don't want to get too carried away. There are still you know warning signs that may yet uh, throw things off course. But you know maybe maybe some sort of signs of of, of optimism for Tullo. I think that's probably a good place to end on. So I'm going to say thank you to Ryan, thank you to Andy, thank you for listening. I've been Ed Reed. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.